Trey, thank you very much for joining me for episode three of this new podcast called Between the Levees. Uh, we, of course, met each other in Houston on a, on a work trip, and I got to hear a little bit about your life, which is far, far different from mine. So let us uh, begin at the beginning. You, you were born at some point, were you not? I was. Uh, I was born in Pasadena, Texas, which is just down the road from where we met on the work trip and went to school uh that's you know boring um when i graduated high school i joined the navy so i have all kinds of stories about that which is also what i think a lot of my uh, experience even in this industry kind of reflects it's like the same but different right right um a lot of things can be kind of make sense in the navy they make sense on towboats right Sure. Um, <clears throat> I did that for four years. I went overseas a few times. When I got out, I went to college. Um, I didn't like college. College wasn't for me. Um, I learned a lot in college, though. A lot, not, not only curriculum, but also about myself. Okay. So part of what I learned about myself is that I didn't really like college. I thought I liked school until then. Um, and I don't like dislike school. Let me rephrase that. Just wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to finish. Sure. So I got on towboats um, out of college. Well, actually, I worked at the port first as a security guard. That's how I kind of figured out all this stuff existed in the civilian sector. So figured that out, became a green deckhand at Marquette, left there, went to Cheryl Kay, who is now Ingram. Right. And here I am. So... Backtracking a little bit, in school, I know you had a bit of a music career at the tail end of high school. Were you drawn to music in grammar school, high school? How, how did that start for you? Well, my whole family is very musical, always has been my whole life. So there was always musical instruments laying around the house some, in, in every room. Okay. So it was easy for me to just pick, pick it up and, and, you know. And another thing that that being said, is that my parents never kind of forced the issue. It was like, oh, well, there's a guitar if you want to play it. If not, that's okay, fine, whatever. We don't care. What did well, they do? Then, what did your parents yeah. do for a living? My dad has an MBA and uh, he is a project manager of medical equipment, big fancy job, I guess. I don't know. He's a project manager. Okay. Um, <clears throat> My mother mostly worked retail my whole life. She was the manager of a retail store, but now she works at a car dealership and she's like the, not a service advisor, but she's like the service advisor's boss. Okay. Or something like that. All right. Any siblings? Yeah. I do. I have a sister. She's also musical. She's not interested in towboats at all though. <laughs> what does she do? She's in college to be an architect. Good for her. Yeah. Hopefully she'll, you know, finish all that. That's a long road, though. Long road. Absolutely. My sister-in-law is one uh, licensed in New Orleans. Um, so I know you you toured at the tail end of high school, I believe it was. It, it, about, what, 15, 16? 
Oh, like 16, 17. And it wasn't anything big or crazy, but we, I mean, we played out of town, you know I mean? We, we did the whole load, the load, the vehicle up with all the gear and, and make, make our rounds. And we were trying to pursue that as a career. Ultimately it didn't work out. Um, how, how did that group come together? Uh, I knew all those guys from when I was a kid and we all kind of started learning instruments together. We were all into the same stuff. It was just my high school buddies. And then uh, as we learn our instruments, like, Oh, you play that, you play that, let's do it together. And um, yeah. And it, it, that, that group was the, to date, the tightest musical group I've ever played in. Um, and it's just from that, that history. I mean, we, we knew every, you know, we knew everything about each other. So I knew exactly when he was going to change, even if it was too early, you know, right. he's messing up changing too early. I know he's about to do it because I know him and I know that he's about to do that. So it was super tight group. And were you always behind the kit? No, no, I actually played guitar through high school. Okay. Um, that was like my main thing, but that same group, well, in high school, there. As far as like drummers, like behind an actual drum set, they don't, especially at that age, they don't exist. At right. least not ones that actually know what they're doing, at least have some kind of skill. And we didn't have any friends who played the drums. So I had messed around with it, um, with the group, like while, while we find a drummer, I'll play the drums and I just haven't stopped. Right. So now that's like my thing. And now I've actually come to enjoy it more than I ever did the guitar. So uh, it fits my personality better. It's what I like to do. So did, uh, was there anything between high school and joining the Navy? Um, I, man, I left like right, like four months after I, I graduated. So yeah. no, not I mean, like my, my dad was real cool about it. He told me that, uh, he told me to quit my job when I graduated. He was like, yeah, we all know you're leaving. So it just takes four months and like, you know, be a, you know shit ass <laughs> or, or whatever you want to be yeah 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 so uh you know i just lounged and relaxed for a few months and then shipped out tell me about your navy experience from the very beginning till you uh you finished up um navy so when i went to boot camp i weighed 100 pounds i was a very skinny kid all right um when i got out of the navy i was like 180 I gained like 80 pounds in like the four years and it's all good. It was, was all good weight. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, I went in the Navy as some punk rocker kid and I came out like a grown up. you know what I mean? So yeah. it did a lot of good for me. Again, it just, just like college, I had set out college. It taught me a lot about myself. Um, but when I went to boot camp, I did well in boot camp because boot camp was really easy for me because somebody told me either it was right before I went or right when I got there, it was like, just close your mouth and do what you're told exactly how you're told to do it. And I was like, okay, that's easy. Right. And so I, I waited through boot camp, it's fine. A lot of people tell you all these horror stories. I don't have any horror stories, but boot camp, I mean, it was, it sucked. I mean, it's boot camp, right? It's not supposed to be a fun experience, but I didn't have any negative experience. Right. Um, I mean, it was just, it just was what it is. I just and kept my mouth shut and did what I was told exactly how I was told to do it. What year was boot camp? That was in 2010. So okay. 12 years. Yep. So yeah, I went to boot camp. Then I went to my A school in Florida, which was I don't know, five months or so. I lived in Florida 
um, to learn how to do the job that they were training me to do. Which was? And I was a, I was a CTT is the rate. So cryptologic technician and in parentheses, the last T is tech, uh, technical. Basically what it is, is it's missile defense for anti-ship missiles. So we monitor this system that, that gathers all of the, the radio waves in the air, you know, like when you talk on a radio, it sends a right. radio wave, right? Well, there's all kinds of different radio waves in the air and that could be radars, radios, missile targeting, all kinds of stuff. So we have this console that gives us all these different parameters, the frequencies and, and uh, <clears throat> wavelengths and all that stuff of all those frequencies in the air. And we monitor those and read them to determine what is basically around us in the air as far as radio waves. If one of those is a, is a missile targeting radar, then that's a big deal. And then you know the warship needs to be aware of that. So the way I like to describe it is, you know, when you watch Top Gun and they're, the bad guys like flying behind them and they target them with the missile and it goes beep, right? right. Well, the beep, the beep doesn't actually exist. What actually exists is a guy, which the job that I used to do, which is like, hey, you're being targeted by this radar at this distance, you know, it, it blah, 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 all the details. That's what I did in the Navy. Okay. Um, but mostly I did it for ships and sometimes planes, mostly ships. Did that get pretty tense at times? Super tense. Super tense. Where were you? Yeah. Uh, where were you posted, or where was the the ship? Well, the ship was all over, but I spent a lot of time in the Persian Gulf, so like off the coast of Iran and over there and all that stuff. I went to the Black Sea. I was in um I was in the Black Sea for the whole Crimean Russia situation, right? As they call it. Um, that gets intense, right? Because that's when like real missile stuff is. I never saw a, like I never saw a missile in flight, fortunately. But the anxiety of knowing that one could come at any second is pretty, pretty right. intense. Uh, what was life like on the ship? Really, for for me, really structured. I had a routine that I did every day. I would wake up, you know, for time for watch. Um, all I did was stand watch, work out, eat, sleep, watch. Uh, downloaded movies that's was all it, i did was it 12 hour watches or sixes eight? 12 hour watches most of the time so so in the navy your main job right so my ctt missile defense job is not the only thing that you do throughout the day so you have other like secondary jobs so you stand a 12 hour watch but that's not your whole day like uh for example one of my like side responsibilities was to make sure that we had all the stuff in the shop, all the supplies and all the stuff. That was my job to make sure that we did all of that. So if I needed to, you know, go through the whole shop and make sure we have this component and this part and this tools and all this stuff, I mean, I got to go through the whole shop and do all that. Right. Well, if that have, you know, if I need to do that on the day that I stood a 12 hour watch, well, then I'm spending five hours doing that too. You know what I mean? Um, and then the list goes on. I mean, there's, right. I had like 15 collateral duties. Right. So it ended up turning into 16 to 20 hour days, almost, almost every day. And you don't get a day off whenever you're on deployment. Um, they, they say you do on Sundays, but you, you don't. I mean, you still have to stand your watch and, you know, now when you're in port, like when I would be home, it's like a day job. You go in, like, got to be there by like eight o'clock. You're, you know, at home drinking a beer by 5 PM. Sure. 
What was your the import, import job or primary import job? Uh, so whenever a, a warship's import, their entire mission is to just be prepared to go out to sea. So okay. if so, like, for example, we have these launchers to defend against missiles, right? So uh, we would tear apart the launchers, completely clean it, like basically like you would do a gun, right? We would just tear the launchers apart, totally clean them, put them back together, test them, et cetera, et cetera. And that would take us, you know, especially because we're not there. 24 hours a day so that would take us you know two weeks or however long it would take um but yeah so then we would run and like whenever you're home you're not really home because you got to go out to sea for three days so the gunner's mates can test the five inch gun or whatever and they you know the whole ship's got to go out for two days come back for four go out for a week come back for a month you know whatever and uh the Navy, I mean, I probably would have stayed um, and made a career out of it because I, I relatively liked it, but how much I was gone left a sour taste in my mouth because I, and a lot of the guys like in the towboat industry, they're like, oh, I did like a 56 day hitch. It's like, bro, I was on a boat for like 240 days out of one year. Like, right. what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> like, you know, straight, you know, so. I don't know, man, but, but I mean, I hear it. 50 sucks. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lot. What, um, what were your parents and, and uh, sister doing, I guess, at the time while you were out there? Was it, was it, were you keeping, keeping in touch at home and all that stuff? Kind of. I mean, I have a cool relationship with my, with my family, but when I was gone, like, like I said, I had this real strict routine that I had to live, keep myself by or I'd have gone crazy. So not really like computer ass time wasn't really part of my routine so um like if i was on the like unclassified computer doing something then i might like check my emails and like send some home right. letters i guess you would letters in email form but not really and i was i'm divorced but i uh, i was married at the time so you know you got married before going in yeah yeah, so that was kind of part of the reason I went. I was already probably going to go because the band had like broken up and I didn't know what I wanted to do because all my all my ambitions had been to be a rock star up until the band broke up. And then I was like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. Right. Um, so I was probably going to go anyways, but she got pregnant at that time. So I was like, oh, well, now I have to go because like I have a child, right. support, you know, and he's 12 years old now. So that was a hell of a four months he had in between graduation and the Navy. Yeah, not lying. <laughs> so what, uh, what rank did you end up re resigning or retiring? It's, it's not, it's not retiring after four years, right? Or is it? No, I just have an honorable discharge. Yeah. I'm not retired. Um, I think technically I fall under retired status now because I have a, a, like a the disability thing, but I'm not sure if that, if that would be an accurate, like explanation but uh i was a petty officer second class so e5 okay in the in the army they call an e5 a sergeant but it's okay you know, right they call it a different name in the coast guard and in the navy it's a petty officer second class that's what i was and uh and a lot of people don't don't make it uh that far um that fast but i just i was gone doing my job uh so much 
so often that whenever it came time for advancement, I was, I was ready to rock and roll and, you know, I just bam, 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 moved up real quick. Whenever, you know, they asked me a work question about the job, I was like, well, I've been doing this every day for the last six months. Like, let's go. Come on. What else you got? <laughs> and as an E5, did you have direct reports? Direct reports. I guess as you wouldn't in, have anybody reporting to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I was the the lead guy on the watch. So the watch that I stood had two guys. So I'd always have a guy, you know, under me there. But also, just everyone in the military, right? There's a ranking structure. So all the guys that even had the same job as me, we are we're all in a kind of division, as what they call it, and you know, they essentially reported to me, whereas I reported to the guy that was a rank above me and et cetera, et cetera. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, at one point in time, I was the only E5 in my division. I don't think it was a very long period of time, but um, a couple months at least. And so all of those guys that were not to, you know, above the rank of E5 were uh, reporting directly to me. Okay. So you get out. What happens next? Uh, got out and went to business school because I was going to be entrepreneur slash CEO slash awesome businessman. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I mean, essentially, that's kind of why I went even. I wanted to pay for college. Um, I'm sure my parents and I could have figured out how to go to college without um, the military paying for it, but it wouldn't have been fun adventure for sure so you know basically i couldn't afford to go to college and i and i could now that i had done the navy thing so um so i went to college i did three years of college like uh, i did three years of college full-time so that's four or five classes at a time and then i worked two jobs at the same time and had two children and a wife it was a busy time in my life and it was not an enjoyable experience and I got really burnt out really fast. Um, by that third year, I wanted them to lock me up in the mental ward. I was not, I was too busy, too much. I mean, between, you know, six plus hours of like ass in seat class time, plus homework and studying, plus, you know, at least eight hours a shift uh, of work shifts a day, usually more then come home and got to put the kid to bed then to go study. And you know what I mean? I just, I wasn't sleeping. I was not having any fun whatsoever. It sucked. It sucked. Yeah. So, so I did, I didn't finish my bachelor's. I did the associates and I, and I, I need to go back and finish my bachelor's real bad. I keep talking about it uh, a lot recently. It, it can't hurt. Definitely wouldn't hurt. And I've already, I've only have like a year left, man. You know, it's like, yeah. I did, three quarters of the mission and I, and I just walked away yeah uh, and then uh so school school was not an enjoyable experience for me mostly because i had to raise raise these children and have this family on top of going to school and you know the world that we live in if you don't you know you can't you can't have ass in ass in seat classes and work like a regular job it doesn't work like that you know and you can't do that Right. Um, and I can't work a regular job and go to four night classes a night. Like I can't do that. You just, it's just not realistic. Right. So I had to work like little odd part-time jobs and stuff that would work around my 
school schedule. And so those don't pay a lot. You right. know what I mean? So then I had to get a second one to pay the bills. Part of the reason I, I left school also, though, is that I, I got involved with these two guys um, that were starting a business. They were like, they were, they were literally living out of an Airbnb and putting all of their money into this business that they were starting whenever I met them. I met them like by on a fluke. Um, and so after a conversation with them, I'm like, Hey, I'm like three years into business school or whatever. They decided to have me come on board with them. And we were selling water softeners and we made a bunch of money, but it wasn't, I guess you would say the right way. Okay. A lot of, a lot of holes in, uh, legal stuff that we didn't really know about. It's not like we were doing it on purpose also. You know what I mean? Like we weren't like breaking law on purpose, right? but we didn't really know better. And we weren't covering our, like basically covering our bases and like figuring out that we need to know these things anyway. So the business essentially got shut down for like not paying taxes and stuff, which we did pay taxes. We just didn't pay enough taxes. Um, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. For real yeah. though. Uh, That'll so, get you. Yeah. Uh, and we, like I said, we were paying taxes and stuff. We had this, we had an accountant who was supposed to take care of that stuff. We had a lawyer supposed to take care, care of a lot of that stuff. And uh, they failed basically. And so did we, you know, as like the guys kind of like starting the business and running the business, it's our job, our responsibility to like, make sure that all these things are taken care of. And I guess we kind of just trusted the wrong people and <clears throat> it didn't work out. So uh, then I was left with like no job. Oh, what do I do? That's when I got on tow boats. Well, I went to the port and got on tow boats. So tell me about that. What would you do at the port? You said a security guard. Yeah, I was just a security guard at the port of Houston, making like twenty-two dollars an hour. It's crazy. They pay that, but yeah. Um, and that was just from like Indeed. I was like just looking for a job, and I was willing to accept almost anything that would pay you know a decent wage. And the Navy thing made me qualified to be a security guard. Um, and I already had a Twit card. And so I just applied. They gave me the job. I couldn't believe how much they were paying. So I was like, I'm this forever. <laughs> you know? Was that, was that but, uh, uh, 12 hour watches too? Yeah. Okay. And I actually got fired for that job. Um, I actually got fired from that job, believe it or not, which is the only job I've ever been fired for in my entire life. Yeah. And what was next? Tow boats. That was when I, uh, that, that was when I knew that like the, the civilian maritime industry was like a thing. And so whenever I got let go there, I, uh, I started hunting for a maritime job because I was like, I don't want to go back to college. Um, I was, I like this maritime thing for the Navy. So let's do that. And, and you uh, said it was, it started out on deck with Marquette. Mm -hmm. Yep. Green deck hand Marquette. What, what was the, uh, the onboarding process or the, the deck hand training and what, what, how was that experience? They, they, they did, uh, they did what they were supposed to do for sure. Now that I'm like more involved in the industry and everything, like I, I do have like opinions on the way that uh, deck hands are trained upon being hired um i don't think that they really do train enough for the sake of saying it that's across the board right not just marquette yeah 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 across the board roger um 
and I think that the the little programs that have been popping up, which like like Kenny Brown's doing that maritime third down thing, and like he's a friend, so obviously I'm a little you know biased to that one. I think it's cool, but I've seen other people kind of doing the same thing where they're trying to get like a universal training culture going. I think that's super cool, and I super support that uh, movement. I think they should do that. But yeah, I got trained Marquette properly for a green deckhand considering the training that all the industry is doing. Um, and I picked it up pretty quick. Like I said, the I already knew all the lingo, all the maritime lingo. Like I had been knowing that stuff for, you know, however long. Um, so I, I already knew all the lingo. Um, the only thing I really had to learn that was new was how to build tow. And building tow is not rocket surgery. You know, it, what, what, I, what I made myself learn to build tow, to learn how to build tow, and I've tried to explain it to newer guys, is that don't necessarily, like, uh, learn how to lay that exact wire. Learn why you are laying that wire. Right. And then it, because you know why you need to lay that wire in that situation, then you can lay it in all kinds of different ways. Right. You know what I mean? You can do it all, all kinds of different stuff. So that way, if you learn like kind of the purpose of what you're doing, or for me, I learned like the purpose of what I was doing and not just this exact wire, the way that this guy showed me exactly his way. I didn't learn like that. I just said, okay, why am I doing this? So anyways, when, when I did that and I, and I was able to, to build to well, I, you know, worked my way up <clears throat> and uh, I got my license not well, like a year ago. That was going to be uh, a wheelman, right? That's the that's the uh, the dragon that we're all chasing, right? Right. Uh, as far as deckhands go, um, then an opportunity in the office opened up, and uh, I saw a way for my like old businessman want uh, mindset could be combined with the new industry that I really enjoyed. And now I'm just rocking and rolling and uh, sprinting to the top as fast as I can um, on the short side. All right, Trey, we'll just switch gears a little bit here. Uh, we've covered your maritime experience to this point, and it does continue, of course, so that story is not done. But nope. in the meantime, somewhere along the line, you met a new band or became a part of a, an existing band. Yes. How, how will that work out? When I moved to Cheryl Kay, I was going home every day. I was working on the fleet. I was going home every day. Well, that kind of opened up my opportunity to play music again. Right. The issue with that had been that I had been like out of the music scene for years. I hadn't had time. I had kind of sort of played with like this buddy of mine, you know, my best friend calling my brother. I had played in a band that he does, but I didn't have a lot of time. And they like I could they, they ended up kind of having a conversation with me like, man, we want to do so much more and you don't have any time. So like you need to go. Like, fair. Fair enough. So at that point, that was all I had done since, you know, high school was that band that was it um when i got to show okay in the fleet i was going home every day i said cool well i want to do this music thing again like something i want to pursue so i played in a few bands i was trying to get my way back in the scene i was staying up too late to just go to like local shows and show my face that's something you got to do you know and, and uh i spent a lot of time and effort just kind of inserting myself into the music scene um and even if I would just go to a show, even if I had to work the next day, you know what I mean? And I would just do a 12 hour deck shift. 
I would go to this show across town and just show up, say hi to the people that I recognized, stand there for a while so that other people saw my face and then leave and go home and go to bed so I could go to work the next day. I did that for a while. Well, ultimately that worked out because people started knowing who I was. So I got offered by this band, the Black Market Tragedy Band to, to audition. Their drummer had, it was all in the COVID stuff and uh, his views on COVID and the rest of the band's views on COVID didn't agree and they wanted to keep gigging and stuff, which a lot of bands were still gigging in COVID, by the way, like a lot were still gigging. Right. Um, which may not be the safest thing, but you know, it is what it is. And um, so they still wanted a gig during COVID and that the, their old drummer, he just was not, not having it. And uh, I guess, I don't know the whole story, but he left the group um, and they needed a new drummer. So I was asked to come audition, I auditioned. That was approximately two years ago that right. I've been playing with, with BMT. And they're great. I really like the group. Um, I learned all their songs pretty quick. We've got a whole album's worth of new stuff that, that I've done with them. The recording process has been real slow. They all work. I work. Nobody's going anywhere. We all know that we all get, get along real well. So we're not in any real rush. A lot of times people ask me like, man, like you posted on Facebook that you were in the studio four months ago. <laughs> like where, where's the stuff? Hey man, it'll get done when it gets done. Um, we only gig like maybe once every two or three months. Um, one, we're busy, but two also is what I found. And they, they agree is that if I play every weekend, no one's going to come. You're not going to come see me three times in two months. There's no way you're going no, right. to, no one wants to do that. I like people come out and support and enjoy the tunes and everything, but like, there's so many other things you could do with your weekend. So, um, so we don't we don't play as much as uh, some of these other bands. That being said, we're also not 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 trying to be no uh, no rock stars or anything. This is like a hobby, you know. Like I'm a tow boater by trade. That's what I am. That's the industry that I work. That's how I make my living. This is my hobby, right? I don't watch footballs on Sundays. I play the drums, right? Like that's what I do. So um, it's a fun hobby. It does get a little expensive sometimes, but that being said, sometimes it'll pay for itself. It's a hobby that pays for itself, right? Like watching football on Sundays ain't going to pay you no money. Right. I get paid, you know, I'll get paid on a, on a good night. I'll get, I'll walk away from a show with 800 bucks in my pocket. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, that's not every show, by the way. That's me kind of like exaggerating, not exaggerating. Like it, it has happened, but it doesn't happen often. <laughs> you all know, good. But, all good. But uh, what do your, uh, uh, what do your bandmates do for a living? Where's their day jobs? uh well matt the bass player actually he just retired he doesn't have to work ever again uh and he's not even that old like i think he's like late 40s he, retired from what he was a plant worker uh i don't think he was an operator okay. he did something at the plants i'm not quite sure exactly what he did but he uh he did his money right throughout his life and he's done he don't have to work anymore Good i think he's him. gonna go get like a some kind of job to keep himself busy um but oh, that's that's the thing that's kind of I guess on the down low about the band right now is that we're kind of taking a little break like definitely till the end of the year um maybe a little longer they're gonna go travel around the world and stuff or do whatever they're gonna do like he just retired and like I totally respect and understand that so and I'm sure any 
fan, if you would call them that, uh, would also understand. I mean, he's he's gonna go be retired for a little while, so like we're not even practicing. Like, I haven't even seen them in a month, which again is fine. It's understandable. Uh, I've got other stuff going on, anyways. I just you know we we uh, we're doing the rena- Renaissance Fair thing this weekend. Uh, we just made it. We went out there, came back today. I just we've only been home for a few hours, and then um, she's got to do a couple hours at work tomorrow, and then. We're going to go back up there and stay the whole weekend. So doing stuff like that, where it's like, if I had a gig to play, we wouldn't be doing that. Well, okay. So you were married very recently, I believe you said last weekend. Yes. What, I did get uh, married last weekend. How was that ceremony? It was good. So we did it a little different. I guess you would say un- un- unorthodox. Um, we went just her and I, we flew out to Denver and went up to the top of a mountain uh, actually, where we went was, it was called St. Mary's Glacier. We found it while we were up there. It was like very tip top of a mountain, like at a frozen lake. And that's the scenery that we like. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, right. Fall, it's fall right now. So like all the leaves were like orange and red and blue and stuff. Um, but there was still snow. It's really cool, really pretty. That's where we went. And then her and I, just the two of us went, drove up there um said the things that we wanted to say to each other and then when we came down the mountain considered ourselves married so i guess technically we're not officially married even yet but we are as far as her and i are concerned we are yeah Um, certainly married enough it sounds like yeah we had a cool trip you know uh we just stayed out in the mountains and kind of like we're like recluses i guess you'd say but like tourist recluses (laughs) and we just we just took in the scenery and it was really nice. It was really nice. It was really pretty. It was really enjoyable. And it was a very refreshing trip. I'm ready to get back to life. You know sure. I mean? Well, I know there's a job change coming yet again for you pretty soon. Uh, what yeah, you, hopefully sooner what, rather than later, man. <laughs> right. What will you be doing in the industry? Uh, I'm going to be the crew dispatcher for Houston. I'm really excited to start. Um, I like the fleet dispatch thing. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. When the position opened up for crew dispatch, though, I, I had to jump on it. I see room for improvement that I think I have ideas to fix. Now, I'm sure everybody says that when they're going into a new position, like, oh, I'm going to change the world. So we'll see what I can realistically pull off. But I'm excited to at least get, get a swing at it, right? Um, now, that being said, and all that is absolutely true, but now I'll have m- more of a, a schedule to pursue my music stuff which uh, is, you know, that's what I really enjoy. That's like my passion. Of, right. So with the new position, I'll have, because I've been working, you know, even as a fleet dispatcher, I've been working the 14 and 7, 12-hour shifts, just like the fleet guys over there in the, in the Houston fleet. And it makes, it makes it difficult to do this music stuff whenever, you know, I get asked, Hey man, this gig's gonna pay us like two grand. Can you do it? Nope, sure can't. I'm on night shift. You know, like, right. oh damn. Well, I just ran out of money and opportunity. You know, I just it just fluttered by because I I'm at work, which again I like being at work. I enjoy what I do, but it would be really great to be able to do both. And with this position, I believe that I'll be able to do both. Sure. Um, obviously, work is the priority. You know, like the industry towboat industry and my my job is the priority right but if it if i can figure if 
which I believe I have. If I can figure out a way to do both, well, then that's a win for everybody, right? Yeah. So. And speaking of work, I think you're in a good place to uh, to test your your, your theories. Yeah. Well, so it's just for just uh, like one small example about what I say room for improvement is, is that as a deckhand, right, for Marquette and Shoke and now Ingram, and I've, I've, I've dealt with crew dispatchers, right, from the opposite side, as you know, not opposite right. side being not the crew dispatcher, right, the right. Person right. having to, to deal with the crew dispatcher. And what I always hated the most was that um, they just seem like unreachable and they seem like, and this isn't any person in particular, I'm just saying like overall broad experience of my experiences. Um, just kind of, they, I felt like I was treated kind of just like a number, an employee number. I'll go get on the boat, dude, go, go work. Um, and so what I want to do, and again, may, maybe this is unrealistic. I got to get in the job and figure out, but I, I want to be more uh, personable with the, with the crews. Um, and if that requires me to work a little extra to go out to, you know, the boat where they're doing a crew change. Uh, I mean, as long as it's like, you know, in a secure location, everything, like if it's at the, the main office dock or whatever, if I can go down there and, and like talk to them face to face about something, Hey, Oh, don't you have a vacation coming up or something you were telling me about or whatever and look them in the eyeballs and then them tell me that. And then remember it, that kind of stuff I feel like would just go so far for right. a lot of these crew members. And, you know, and if I got to like work a little extra, even like off the clock and just go sit at the dock to have conversations, like, what am I doing? I'm just sitting there talking. I don't care. That it sounds great to me. So, um, like, like I said, and, and we'll, I'll get in the job and I'll figure out exactly it. Maybe there's a reason that these crew dispatchers don't do that. You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to find out either they don't for a reason and I'll figure, find out the reason, or I'm going to be the guy doing that. We'll find out. So right. we'll see. We'll see if I'm able to pull it off, but I want to pull that off. And then just some other things, like little things that I just feel like, you know, wouldn't take much effort from me, but would make a lot of crew members' lives a little easier or not even easier, just more pleasant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause I feel like in that position of crew dispatcher, you're kind of in service to crews. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm trying very hard to get it in my mind to not lose sight of that. Right my purpose is to serve these guys and help them help me you know i mean it goes both ways hopefully i'm able to get in there and pull it off but we'll see yeah well no all the power to you man is there anything else we have not touched on from your life you think is interesting or shareable man uh i guess i would just say you know if anybody's interested in the in the band it's the black market tragedy is where you find us on the Spotify and the YouTube and the Facebook and the Instagram and all the things we are recording new stuff, a lot of new stuff and it'll be done right when it does come out. So, you know, for if anybody is like waiting on it, which I don't know of anybody that's like sitting there waiting on it, but if anybody is waiting on it, it's coming, I promise. And it'll be, I, I can name a mutual friend that might speak differently, but, uh, we'll cover that <laughs> oh. some other time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that people enjoy the tunes and that, that really makes me like super happy when people enjoy the tunes, man. Um, super happy because I mean, that's essentially what like the, the reward, right? Like it's easy for me to just look at like some cash that I'm given and be like, Oh, reward for my, you know, my hobby. 
but the real reward is when people enjoy it sure that's what like gets me all pumped up yeah um when people come and like you know they buy the t-shirt at the show and then i see them in town or like on facebook like a picture of them wearing the t-shirt i'm like well that that's the that's the good feeling right there yeah. and I, I really dig that so yeah just it would be it would be cool if everybody checked out the band and if you like it uh send us a message and we'll play your birthday party or something <laughs> <laughs> maybe not but it'd be cool all good man look i appreciate your time but uh, all right man uh it's good to talk to you you and, too bud uh, i will see you soon